0: Hello, my name is Ryan Broderick, and you're listening to the Content Minds, and I am eating gummy bears right
1: now. Hi, my name is Dick Belly, and you're listening to the Content Minds, back to its traditional remote form. That amount of visual body language? I can't, I can't deal with that.
0: It was... <laughs> These are good gummy bears, damn. They're like artisanal gummy
1: bears. Oh. Wow.
0: Um, yeah, that, that, uh, that amount of closeness, that amount of physical proximity was overwhelming, and I didn't, I didn't enjoy it, and i much rather talk to other human beings through some kind of screen.
1: Yeah, that's the correct way to do it.
0: Although, I have a bit of gossip for our listeners oh. about you. About you, yeah. All right, hit me. Hold on, I'm eating gummy bears second. So, when we recorded last week, I had my little Focusrite, and I had my microphone plugged into my little Focusrite interface, and my interface plugged into my computer. And it looked very ridiculous because I had headphones on and a microphone. I was sitting there and then you right before recorded said, why do you need headphones? And I said to hear myself and you kind of scoffed because you don't, you can't hear yourself because you, have a, you, have, you no. have a different setup than I do. And you said, oh, yeah, you, 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 why do you need that? Well, if you had had headphones, you would have known that you hit your mic stand several times during the recording and made a loud ding.
1: I'm comfortable about that. But also my mic picked up you bellowing from the other side of the room. So
0: so there you go i guess nothing is right you know i guess there's no right way to do it
1: i would i would have just been hearing you in my headphones somehow louder than it was in my in in real life
0: you're describing just how podcasts are recorded How, how
1: how sure okay
0: let's get into the show finish my gummy bears this week on the content minds we're talking about the crypto crash we're going to be talking about what crashed try to figure out why it crashed and maybe understand how big this crash is historically is this the end is this the bubble how does this all line up because with crypto the the floor is quicksand it's all very confusing but before we get to that hey luke how was the internet this week
1: I don't know. I didn't read much of it. I'll be honest. <laughs>
0: <laughs> were you busy? Were you? What were I you busy doing? I was busy.
1: I was busy doing other things. I was busy not looking at the internet. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Should we? Should we? Should we, I feel like we should be doing like a here's what we did on our holidays story? Or
0: nobody cares about that. All right. Fine. Although I guess people. I mean, you know, I I thought that if when I got back and I told people like. Me and Luke are like really into escape rooms now. <laughs> I thought people would be more interested in that. But so far, no one has asked me any follow-up questions about escape rooms.
1: That's a shame because we're really into escape rooms now.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually the big news of me and Luke's bachelor party is that we did yeah. an escape room uh, on a on a whim, on a random night we had in between two di- different stops. And we loved it so much that we did a second one.
1: Yeah, and they were both great. They were both really interesting. We fun- I think we functioned together as a team really well. And 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 yeah, we 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 failed the first one because it was the first one time we ever done it, and we were not good at it. And we succeeded in the second one.
0: And we agreed that the reason we failed the first one was because chunks of it were in Swiss German, which was a little complicated for us because neither of us speak Swiss German
1: (laughs) or, or, or or regular German.
0: Yeah, I guess we okay. I guess it's no longer a security issue now that we're no longer doing it. So like none of our fans can come find us and kill us. Luke and I took a train journey from Brussels to Milan. Uh, for his bachelor party, so that we could go see his favorite singer songwriter Frank Turner play in Milan, uh, and in the middle of that journey, we went to an escape room in Switzerland, <laughs> <laughs> which only yeah. in retrospect did I realize was a basement. We were locked in a basement in Switzerland, which yes. is very close to a German murder dungeon, and in fact, yes. it was it
1: was murder dungeon themed. And, but we did not get murdered, so it was fun.
0: It's true. We did not get murdered in the Swiss escape room, so we yeah. es- we failed to escape, but we did escape.
1: And and I think my, my three conclusions from the four days or whatever it was would be: Brussels is a great night out, much better than you would think. Much better. Escape rooms are awesome, uh, and it is worth seeing your favorite artists in as smaller room as possible.
0: I would agree with that. Also, in Brussels, I took a, I took an incredible risk. And it, it paid off handsomely, but it really could have gone bad, which is that we went to one of the oldest bars in, in Brussels after quite a few drinks uh, around one in the morning and I ate steak tartare, <laughs> which, you know, it's like one of those things where at the moment I was like, you know what, I got to do it. And then I woke up the next morning and I was like, I did what? Uh, but yes. yeah, everything was everything was fine.
1: So. Yeah, I know. I thought that was a ridiculous thing to do.
0: Well, it was it was delicious.
1: So there you yeah. go.
0: Yeah. Is there any other? You, you, so you didn't do any homework for this episode? You didn't catch up on the internet in any way?
1: Uh, no, not really. Internet seems fine. Nothing. Nothing okay, exploded. Everything's it's all fine. good.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, so so here here is the deal. This is our hundredth episode that Luke and I have done together since we started this podcast. The original version was called Trailblazers.
1: It was like the Portland Trailblazers, uh, the basketball team.
0: What was the whole stupid name? We had Trailblazers, the first ever podcast to, pro- to be produced by men. I think that was yeah, the name of the show. Yeah. yeah,
1: the first the first two men ever to do a podcast.
0: Something like that, yeah. And it was basically a way for us to uh, to talk to each other during the pandemic. Luke wanted to do a history podcast, and I was like, there's no way that I can read history books right now. What about that? This was April 2020. <laughs> <laughs> like there's just no or, you know, May 2020. This just would have been no way to do that. Can
1: I can I point something out that that, that a history podcast that was started at almost exactly that same time by a guy called Tom Holland and another guy called Dominic Sandbrook has become one of the most successful podcasts of all time, and all they do is just like randomly talk about history and make jokes about it. Well, I mean they are admittedly professional historians, which means they are better suited to do it than we were. But I I, uh, I was right about the market segment. I was just wrong about us doing it.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, I'm sorry that like we didn't become the most successful podcast of all time by just choosing to try to talk about history as two yeah. guys. I'm sorry that those <laughs> yeah. hi- I'm sorry that those two historians did your idea better.
1: Yeah, I thought it I thought it was very unfair from that because it was idea. I didn't see it.
0: I just I didn't see the idea and instead I thought what if we just talk about what's on the internet? Although the original version of, of this show was us interviewing other people about what weird stuff they were doing online during the pandemic. That was sort of the conceit. That's true. That's true. But then we stopped doing that because it was too hard to interview a new person every week with the <laughs> multiple time zones involved. It's a lot of time zones.
1: Yeah, it was a lot of time zones. It was super complicated. And it was, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure we did one at like 1 a.m. once and I was just like, mm, probably done with this. Yeah,
0: it was pretty brutal. So we stopped doing that. We transitioned into this. We renamed it the content minds. And then we've sort of just been doing this ever since. Uh, do you have a favorite episode? Uh, you've never listened to an episode of the show, have you?
1: Uh, no, no. I do listen to them sometimes because I'm, I'm interested in how specific bits come across because like I, I, I have a rough gist of like how most of it works, but there are specific bits where I'm like, okay, I want to know if did this bit work, did this bit not work, all those sorts of things. But yeah, I broadly don't like listening to myself.
0: I know. I tried to play some of the last week's episode <laughs> for you and you became so enraged to me that you you left the room.
1: I did. I did. I was not pleasant.
0: Do you have a favorite episode?
1: I mean, I think all the Aussie stuff was really fun. Uh, that was really, really good. Uh, and I think a lot of our Facebook deep dives have been good as well.
0: I, I enjoy those.
1: I also, I also know that I feel like those are not the ones that people like so much.
0: Yeah, listenership says says otherwise. Actually, interesting. No, no, those are pretty. Those are pretty popular. I really liked the. The CBD scam one that was fun because we got to make some phone calls.
1: that was great. That was really good,
0: but I thought of the of of the old ones of like the very early like the earlier ones. I'm going through all of them right now to see if I remember doing any of these. Oh, I really liked welcome to Content Hell, which was the day after the insurrection,
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean we did we did three of those in a row, and they were all they were all interesting on what' doing, and they were yeah. Also, the monoliths one was pretty fun. The monoliths one was fun because they just kept being more of them.
0: Yes, and they were getting progressively more uh, grim and embarrassing, which I thought was pretty good. Do you uh, do you have any big lessons from doing a hundred episodes of a podcast?
1: I have one really big lesson, which I think leads us into our main. Well, if you have if you have a, a big lesson, let's have that one first because mine's going to lead us into our into our, our main our main segment for today.
0: Oh, interesting. I think my big lesson is that podcasts are very strange and seem to be better when you don't overthink them unless you're willing to overthink them to such a degree that they're like a high premium product
1: okay yeah no i i, I yeah i like that you need to have have more to it than just kind of i was supposed to be, I, yeah no i agree don't overthink don't overthink Do yeah, the like, thing that you like doing and then hopefully it'll be a lot easier
0: Basically, I think in the world of podcasting, unless you want to go like full serial and you want to do like highest level production possible, like total scripted narrative everything, there's really no kind of incentive for the middle. Because like I think most listeners are just like cool to hang out.
1: Yeah, I I But maybe I'm
0: wrong. I could be wrong. I have no idea. Uh, What's your big lesson that leads us into the next segment?
1: My big lesson is that we should have pumped all the money we've ever made from this, uh, which is not a huge amount of money, into Bitcoin. Uh, or Bitcoin related things, <laughs> because
0: well, I have some news for you, my friend.
1: <laughs> okay, but but we started this in what April May twenty
0: twenty. So we started uh, like like uh, monetizing it. Well, no, just
1: started the podcast.
0: Oh, we started in uh, I, I believe it was May twenty twenty. Yeah.
1: Okay, so since then, Bitcoin has gone from five thousand to twenty five thousand. Ethereum yeah. has gone. Ethereum has gone from. 160-odd to almost 2,000. Yeah. And that's current prices, not max prices. And Dogecoin went from uh, 0.0020 to 0.090. Sorry. 0.0020 to 0.1.
0: When British people say not, they mean zero, by the way. Yes.
1: Uh, so all of those in the past two years have gone up by somewhere between a factor of like 5 and 100. Yes and now we got to talk about why that's bad. Let's
0: talk about the great crypto crash of May 2022, which could possibly be one of many or the last or who knows. So let's let's go <laughs> let's do it. Oh wait, no no, we have one last thing before we we hit the next segment, which is this week's bonus episode We'll be free. Luke and I are gonna be talking about Doctor Strange and the multiverse of madness. We're going back to our Marvel bullshit. We, it's a little gift for people who've been supporting us, for people who've been thinking about subscribing. We're gonna throw it out there for free and we're gonna it's gonna be a big spoiler filled uh discussion. So so stick around for that. You can find it at thecontentminds.com and we'll we'll remind you before this week's episode is over. All right, let's go talk about why everyone in the crypto community is uh not having a good week. Yeah. Okay, so I have I have the prices for Bitcoin and Ethereum in front of me right now. We are recording this on Tuesday, May 10th at 4:22 p.m. <laughs> Eastern Standard Time. This could change quite a bit. So right now Bitcoin is at $31,388 according to Coinbase. Its high was in November of 2021 at 67,000. The assumption was at that point in time that it was going to go to 100,000. The psychology of a lot of Bitcoin metrics sort of are predicated on the idea that once it crosses over the five, it's going to cross over the 10. you know, And, it, and people kind of assume that happens. So we are now more than half below... I'm sorry, it's all-time high was 69,000, LOL. So now we're at 31,000. Things are not good. The high for this year was 47,000 so we've dropped quite a bit and the drop uh started on May 4th where it was around 39,000 and it's dropped quite a bit since then is this the biggest drop of all time no um there's something that's called the great crypt the, uh, it's called the great crypto winter of 2018 that that is sort of regarded as like the doldrums of the of the crypto trading world but the spikes and the drops are getting much higher if you look at it on a on a chart. Okay, so that's 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 Bitcoin. Let's do Ethereum and then we'll we'll we'll, we'll sort of discuss. So in Ethereum, the the high so far has been forty eight hundred dollars. It is currently at twenty three hundred dollars and it's almost one to one with bitcoin most of the time in terms of when this happened. The drop though for ethereum started a little bit before, it started falling uh after a peak at 35, now it's at 23 and once again like with bitcoin it went through a pretty bad 2018 into 2020. And then in 2020 it like it skyrocketed, it almost uh I can't do that math. It went from $700 to uh $4,000, so that's a lot of dollars. <laughs> and then it it is now doing the exact same sort of uh rise and fall in just crazy ways. So that's where we're at.
1: Yeah, which is not a, which is not a good place.
0: What do you think about that? Is that a, do you think that's good?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's good. I think it demonstrates the you know future of crypto as a currency that we'll, people will people be able to, you know, really really uh, rely on as t- to be the same amount tomorrow as it is today and therefore still be able to pay their rent. That said, normal currencies you also can't do that right now. So, you know,
0: this is See, this is one issue of this that I find very interesting, which is that the crypto community believes a lot of things that aren't proven, but they just assume they're true. Like the rule that if it goes to the five, it'll go to the 10. They also believe that Bitcoin is a great store against inflation. And at, when inflation started to tick up in America in particular, there was this assumption that Bitcoin would be a great store of value for inflation. That has not been true. Um, inflation is high, but it is not as bad as l- negative. <laughs> like it's not as bad as like <laughs> losing money, you know? They're not taking money away from you.
1: Did you see an amazing tweet from, uh, it was like a month ago, but it was just a very, very good tweet. With inflation at 7.5%, you lose half your money in nine years. The only way to outform that consistently that I have found is crypto. It's just this year, I've already lost half my money.
0: So I've seen variations of this on all kinds of stuff. I saw that text put on a video of like a glamorous influencer like looking out the window in Dubai and it was like one tip to beat inflation you know (laughs) I'm always really fascinated with like what people think is happening because like economics isn't science it's not I mean not real science it's like they're just trying to figure out explanations for what's happening and sometimes they're right and sometimes they're wrong so one one interesting article I came across what I mentioned this in in garbage this week it's from fx empire And it's called Three Reasons – I'll put it in the show notes. It's called Three Reasons Behind the Crypto Market Crash. And a couple of them are very like in the weeds and I don't think super interesting for our listeners. So one of them is that Fed interest rate hikes are affecting it. And the other one is that uh, investors basically want a more stable – thing to invest in, fair enough. But the one that I find the most interesting here is institutional interest is is calming down, which is that like over the last year and a half, massive institutions and countries have bought Bitcoin, hoping that it was like a good store of value or a good investment. And that has not been true. And I think now we're just seeing all
1: of these institutions pulling out. I mean, I think we're seeing that, but I think the more important driver of this is that for the first, let's say, year of the pandemic, uh, it, was, it started a little bit late in the year, like it kind of kicked off slightly later. But a lot of people were working from home. And this is not most people. Most people had, a, I would say, a rough to very rough time. But some people and a, a significant minority of people or a, a maybe slight majority had a time where they worked from home. So they didn't have to commute. They didn't go anywhere. So they didn't spend any money. They had a you know, some sort of a uh, wage cap, just that like, the company survives, maybe they lost 10%, maybe this was 20% of their wage. But equally, they were saving an awful lot more of that because they just weren't doing anything. And so a bunch of people had a bunch of excess money. Like there was a, an extended period during the first lockdown where people were paying off their credit cards, paying off their student loans. So they're like, oh, shit, I've had a, I've had a jump of money here. I think those people then got excited about Bitcoin and dumped a load of money in At the end of this period, obviously, we've had inflationary pressures from, you know, from the war in Ukraine, from the end of the pandemic, from the supply chain crisis, from a bunch of other things. And as a result, everyone's like, ooh, my bill's are costing a bit more now. I'm going to pull that money out. And a bunch of people pulled the money out, and the bottom's bottom's falling out.
0: I think that's definitely true. I mean, it's also in line with a lot of the conversations I had in Miami at the Bitcoin convention, which is that – most of the people I spoke to would say things like, yeah, I got into Bitcoin because I was bored during the pandemic. Right. Uh, it also explains why Dave Portnoy from Barstool Sports is such like a big figure for those people because he got bored during the pandemic. He couldn't bet on sports. And so he started yeah. betting on the other thing that you could bet on, which was money going up and down. <laughs>
1: <laughs> which is like, line, go, line go up, line go down.
0: Yeah, and I I think it's like – I actually don't think it's as serious for like – societal collapse as it might look because i i i just i haven't found a ton of like consumer investors that are like hundreds of thousands or you know hundreds of thousands of dollars invested in this stuff I, I just don't see that
1: yeah i mean i think i think an awful lot of people have disposable income in it and i and to be clear like this what what's tricky about this is that for example the majority of people who let's say bet on sports are going to in over the course of three years, lose a bunch of money. But it's money they can lose. They're fine. They are betting their disposable income on it rather than buying a beer or buying a new car or whatever it is. It's fine, whatever. It's entertainment. There is a small proportion of people who are betting money they don't have or money they can't afford to lose as a way to get rich. And those are the people who are going to be really badly affected by this. And as a result, like, you know, some of them are addicts, some of them are just desperate and and a bunch of different things. But those are the people who are really going to suffer from this so you end up with this situation where kind of the majority of money invested in it is not necessarily going to destroy anyone's life if it goes to zero but a minority of money is going to just go seriously dramatically destroy people's money lives it goes to zero and I, I think that's probably the where it's slightly tricky to know how you should feel about it
0: yeah like last night when the the the, the news of the crash was sort of making its way around twitter I have a, a crypto Twitter list of just like all crypto people. And when you do that, the Twitter app puts all of their Twitter spaces up in the top. And last <laughs> night they were all just like, it's all over. We're all going to die. There's also. Uh, we'll get we'll get to the tokens section of this in a second because it's like a very confusing little thing to talk about. But at one of the bigger like subreddits for one of the tokens that started tanking yesterday was just a suicide hotline number like that was sticky to the top of the subreddit.
1: But also, an awful lot of people think that they're incredibly rich and have discovered that they were only rich on paper.
0: Right, so this is... Okay, so this is, like, the weird, hilarious, like, almost, like... It's it's a very funny... Like, like, when you write and think about crypto enough, you realize that most of it's just, like, bizarre thought experiments that haven't been thought out properly by anyone involved, or at least, like, haven't been thought out properly in a way that matters to anyone involved. So, like, everyone who is super rich on crypto... If they take that money out of crypto, it stops increasing theoretically in value. That's the whole idea. Like you buy and you yep. hold because it'll just keep going. If you take it out in America, you have to pay what's called capital gains tax, and that can be as high as thirty percent on the profit you made. So if you buy a Bitcoin at one dollar and you sell it for ten dollars, you have to you have to give the IRS if you know if they catch you <laughs> three of those dollars, right? I'm, uh, like two and a half of those dollars, right? Because you're, it's on the profit. So most crypto guys, like they don't take their money out of crypto; they keep it in Bitcoin, hoping that it'll just never drop. But it also means that, like at any given moment, like all of your money can just disappear because it's not the the the, the wealth isn't based on anything other than just like internet lines going up and down.
1: Yeah, exactly. But but also there is a kind of another, I don't want to say a problem here, but the amount that it's dropped by in in the last day is not that much.
0: It's not. It, it, Bitcoin like, like, it, doesn't really drop that much,
1: actually. It, it, it's five-day drop is is 14%. Netflix is 10%. And Netflix is, is a real thing. Well, okay, maybe Netflix is not an amazing example, but Netflix is a real thing. Like, I'm scanning down a chart now, and Endeavor Mining it seems to have dropped by 41%. So, you know... no, oh, no, hang on. I'm reading the wrong one. I'm reading the wrong one. Yeah, okay, fine. But in, International Consolidated Airlines Group has dropped by... Th- Three and a half percent in a day. Seems bad for International Considated Airlines Group, whoever they are.
0: I mean, he, here's, a, here's a funny way to do this, right? So Bitcoin's price in the last week, in the last seven days, has dropped, yeah, as you said, 17%. In the last month, it's dropped 28%. Pretty bad. In the last year, it's dropped 44%. Pretty bad. Okay, fine. <laughs> Since Coinbase started collecting data on the price of Bitcoin in 2014, it has increased...
1: It's increased increased 400% since we started podcasting.
0: Right. No, like that's what's so funny about these figures. And like, okay, so, you know, I hope that anyone who reads me, who listens to the show kind of knows where I come from, which is that, Like, when it comes to this stuff, like, I think it's worth thinking out. It's worth writing about. It's worth talking about. It's worth criticizing. It's worth being skeptical about, blah, 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 blah. I also think that every time one of these, like, crypto crashes, quote, unquote, happens, there is, like, there is, like, from the outside, you just be like, oh, yeah, like, it's all over. Everything's all done. Like, and and everyone in the crypto community, they're screaming hysterically. And everyone who hates crypto is like, it's all over. They're all going to start jumping out of windows now. This is it. But then you look at it and you're like, I don't think it is <laughs> like 29,000%. I just in less than 10 years, I it's, I don't, I I do think though, if you look at, if you look at these charts long enough, you start to see that like the peaks and the drops are getting very big in a way that I think is going to be like, yeah. we're not at the end of whatever that means.
1: Yet. I mean, I, I also think that each time there's another big drop it, well, each time there's another big spike. I think it encourages more kind of retail investor people. But also, I think that there is a point at which the drops become so big that the institutions start to get scared off. Like, they're basically betting that they're quicker than the market, which, you know, they probably are. And they'll be able to sell their stuff quicker when they, they see the signal that it's going bad. But... Equally, they're not going to be able to beat the market because they're watching the same signals as anyone else. Because there's not any signals to know. It's not like you're like, hey, I've read this earnings report, and this new product that I thought was going to significantly change this company's fortunes has been delayed by six months. That's going to cause an impact. I can see that that's going to be bad. I can sell now. I can short sell, all that stuff. You can't really do that. It's just like I don't know. Let's let's see what happens. And I, I, yeah, right. so I think institutional investors will get increasingly scared off from it because it, the volatility is just like it's not worth it.
0: Well, I also wonder if the volatility is caused by institutions pulling in and out. I mean, we know for a fact that like a lot of companies, like Tesla, are using Bitcoin as a way to not just store value but also to make money by like pulling in and pulling out whenever they they want. You know, they're 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 doing what El Salvador is doing, which is you know we'll get <laughs> Ooh, to, we'll get really actually hell. instead of instead of we get to that, let's let's talk about that right now. So. So, El Salvador's president Nayib Bukele, who um, looks like uh, the fuckboy boy emoji come to
1: life, he looks the guy you'd imagine trying to run a, a a Latin American company on Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, no, he looks exactly like the kind of guy that would yeah. like, take, use a Latin American country's uh, treasury to buy Bitcoin. Yes, you're right. He all he like he yeah his Instagram is wild. If, if, I think we've done, we did a whole segment on his Instagram once, but he has been live tweeting about how he is buying it right now, and I think he claimed earlier today that he bought uh 500 Bitcoins
1: today. Uh, well, he, sorry, El Salvador bought 500 Bitcoins today.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. He used uh, taxpayer money in El Salvador to buy 500 Bitcoins and then tweeted about it, which is yeah. deranged uh, and terrifying. And, you know, there's a lot to be said about the leader of your country and the leaders of my country and how bad they are, but I will say at least neither of them live-tweeted buying Bitcoin
1: with my money. I mean, there are things that I prefer them to. That seems better than some things. Like, your your kind of elected politician did do a coup.
0: But he didn't buy Bitcoin. And that's just something that we can say. You know, like, it's a little bit of driftwood in the ocean to hang on to before going completely insane.
1: Do you think Trump knows what Bitcoin is?
0: Yeah, but I don't think he knows what it is. I think he's heard about it. And I think he probably doesn't like
1: it because it involves computers. Who do you think understands Bitcoin better, Biden or Trump?
0: (sighs) Oh, that's so tough. I mean... Biden probably thinks it's a video game thing. He probably thinks it's like a thing from Mario. Yeah. Trump is probably the kind of guy that would invest in a, in like a Bitcoin ETF and then lose like a ton of money on that. Although yeah, that I right. bet you, I bet you Trump would be interested in Bitcoin ATMs. I bet he would be like, Ooh, that's a good idea.
1: Trump seems like the guy who has absolutely no idea what's happening in Bitcoin storms in and somehow makes a load of money on it.
0: Well, I mean, Yeah that's definitely like his his vibe is like like i bet you if you if you if you sat him down and you're like i'm not going to give you any more adderall until you listen to me (laughs) and like here's how this works he'd be like okay i i see and then he would find some way to like upcharge people for using it in his
1: hotels (laughs) yeah that sounds right
0: i don't think he would ever understand it but i think he'd be like his like his like monkey brain would be like i can make money off of this All right, so we've talked about the big two. We've talked about Bitcoin, we've talked about Ethereum. Let's move over to a new segment and let's talk about what's going on in the much more confusing and terrifying, actually, world of stablecoins and tokens.
1: Okay, do you wanna start with stablecoins? Yeah, let's do that.
0: So, Luke, do you know what an algorithmic stablecoin is?
1: My understanding is uh, an algorithmic stablecoin. Uh, you know what we should have done. You know what we should have done. Thinking about it, is we should have launched our own coin with a hundred a hundred episode.
0: We should have launched a stable coin. You're right. Yeah, we should have a stable. Coin.
1: <laughs> what What if we launched the first ever triple locked stable coin? So it just it, it takes the highest value of like the US dollar, gold, or Bitcoin. No, no, the highest rise of each of those three. So you put a dollar in, and if gold goes up the most, it it, it follows that. If if uh, Bitcoin goes up the most, it follows that. So it can only go up, never down. Anyway. That's my idea for a, the content coin. I like
0: that. Yeah.
1: Pattern pending. Uh, but okay, so stablecoin, as far as I understand, are coins that are pegged to a real world number. So they are pegged to the dollar, they are pegged to the, the yen, they are pegged to whatever they are pegged to, but it means that they don't have the same benefits of crypto in terms of being able to trade and consume and all that stuff, but they don't have the downsides of, you know, losing a house overnight.
0: Yeah, the metaphor I always heard was like, a stablecoin is, like is like putting your... Your portfolio on pause without leaving the game which doesn't make any actual sense actually because you do have to pay taxes when you turn ethereum into a stable coin so i
1: don't it's like it's like a non-fiat currency tied, and the thing that is it is tied to is for some reason a fiat currency
0: yeah like i still i've heard so many people tell me over and over again why they are a good idea and why they work but i cannot for my life explain to you why they make any sense because like you have to like, okay, so say you have an app like Coinbase, Coinbase reports to the IRS. So if you take your Ethereum and you put it in a stable coin, the the difference between the Ethereum and the stable coin is taxable. So in that sense, why not just move it into dollars, especially because Coinbase, for instance, has the ability to hold dollars. You can, you can deposit dollars into it, and they can stay dollars in there, so yeah. The the stablecoin idea, I I've been told that it's like a way to like keep the crypto ecosystem going, but it doesn't make any fucking sense. It just I've, I I bang my head against the table trying to get it to make sense, but it just doesn't make any sense.
1: I mean, it's yeah, it's basically saying like we have a more secure version of this currency that already exists. Like if you look at it from a pure currency perspective and say like, look, this is just secure, rather than uh, this is an investment opportunity. Okay, I've just had an idea that <laughs> is is like it's like Rocco's basilisk. In that I don't necessarily want to speak it into the world, but I feel like I have to now. Had it, okay? What if you had a stable coin that you could mine with all the associated environmental effects? That was tied; its value was tied to the uh, parts per million carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. As the atmosphere gets more polluted, it goes up in price, and you have to mine it and make the atmosphere more polluted in order to... to
0: that mine. is literally that is literally what Bitcoin is.
1: No, 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 it's not, it's not, it's not. Because Bitcoin, like, Bitcoin can go up and down. It's fine. But this, it's just the process of mining it makes it go up in value. It, and it's tied to a thing that is, is is harder. So so, so the more pollute the world gets by mining this, what I'm going to call carbon coin, the more money you make.
0: But looked at over a long period of time, that is literally what's happening
1: with Bitcoin. Sure, yeah. But, but Bitcoin can fail for other reasons.
0: This oh, one is just. This one you can't.
1: Keep, You're saying, if you mine enough of it, the value keeps going up. I
0: mean, once again, that is literally <laughs> what people who, who who buy and sell Bitcoin think. They're like, yeah. I have had a man literally tell me to my face that is the value of Bitcoin is the environmental destruction that it
1: causes. Well, that's Marxist, of course. A very, very,
0: and there's also carbon coins, which are in the attempt to do the opposite. It's the labor theory of value. Are you saying destroying the environment is a form of labor? Yeah. I mean, I guess it is, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, like, well, the, labor, the labor theory of value means that all value is created by like the amount of things that go into it, broadly speaking. So that things go into it is environmental destruction.
0: Okay. Well, yes. I mean, that it, that, that is possible. We could do it. Uh, we shouldn't do it. And no one ever should do it. But it is possible, <laughs> I, I suppose. So one of the big side effects of this current crypto crash was the effect it had on stable coins, uh, particularly uh, one called UST which is Terra and one called Luna, which were usually swapped back and forth. And Bloomberg has a little explanation of what happened here. I'm going to read it just just so people can understand what happened. Traders seeking to profit from arbitrage opportunities regularly regularly swap USD-free Luna and vice versa, ensuring the price always stays at or very close to $1. That's the whole idea, that that they're locked one-to-one with the dollar. Another contributor to UST's price stability was crypt- was the crypto equivalent of above market interest rates offered through Anchor Protocol, which is a decentralized lender built on Terra's blockchain. So, uh, I went down the rabbit hole one day of, w- with all these. There's essentially a ton of services that pay you interest to invest in their token with another crypto coin. The risk is that the that the token you're investing in means you're no longer Building interest on Ethereum. So, like, so let's say Ethereum is a great month, but all your Ethereum has been converted into uh, a, 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 a decentralized lender's token. You're not gaining that Ethereum interest. The hope is though that you're gaining such a crazy interest rate on the on the lending token that you can make your money back. That that's the that's sort of the the off that people are trying to do. From what I've heard, these services used to be more lucrative, but now many of them are not lucrative and many more of them are hacked or get rug pulled or like, cause like for instance, like say you tell me like, if you give me a hundred Ethereum, I'll give you 6,000 Luke coins and those Luke coins are going to gain 600 Luke coins a day. And then you are using that lending service with other services. But then you say one day, like, I'm no longer in business. You can keep your loot coins, but you can't trade them anywhere now. And then all of my loot coins are worthless. And that happens very often.
1: I, mean, it's, I, I see that. That seems awful. But there's also the other issue, which is that isn't that's inherently like incredibly inflationary because the value of them doesn't go up, but more of them go into circulation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's, yeah, it's, yeah, okay. Well, I mean, it's probably okay. inflationary though. I don't know. I don't even know how that works. That doesn't make any sense.
0: It doesn't. So, Anchor offers, so back to the Bloomberg piece Anchor offers around 20% on deposits of UST, which offered a significant demand incentive for the token. So, people are putting UST into Anchor, they're getting 20%, they're bouncing it back and forth, everything's fine. Then Bloomberg goes on. But over the weekend, all of those mechanisms stopped working and UST lost its dollar peg while Luna also slid in value. That led to a series of crypto market interventions from uh, the Council of the Luna Foundation Guard, a consortium of crypto players. A bunch of them declined to comment. Near midnight New York time on Monday, UST remained under pressure. Luna was trading around $29, down 52% from the day earlier. So yeah, not good. (laughs) <laughs>
1: that's just not good at
0: all. Uh, yeah, and and they're both still in the in the crapper as of as of today on Tuesday.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's that's good. That's good. Stable coins also somehow. I'm, I'm still not. I I have been trying to read stuff about this, and I'm still not totally clear on how the thing got unpegged.
0: How did Luna get depegged? Yeah. Okay. So, I'm sorry. Uh, how did? Okay, uh, I can do this. I, I, I can put together all of my brain
1: cells to explain. Look, if there's a USTD peg on, on, on Terra's Luna, then we've got problems.
0: Nope, I have no idea. I, I've, <laughs> I, I, have, I have no idea. I tried very hard to understand that just now.
1: I think, I think, as far as I'm, I'm, and I'm skipping, and I think my understanding is that there needs to be a certain amount of liquidity in the market. In order for like it to maintain the peg, like because because you need basically an because uh, essentially fiat currency, but it seems to be backed by kind of crypto itself. So if enough people sell, there's suddenly not enough money in the market, and it can't cover its own number. But it's not its number; it's like a percentage of its number, a relative number of its number. And once it hits a certain point, it depegs because it's like we can't match the price of the of the stable coin that we the, the peg that we're attached to, and therefore no. it just goes. Bang,
0: bang. I got I got it. I got it. I got it. Right. Fast Fast Company has, has has an explanation. So what we're talking about, this this Terra USD, which is a stablecoin, UST as it's called, which was in was, was was being traded back and forth with Luna, another token. So Fast Company writes, perhaps most intriguing are the algorithmic back stable coins, such as Terra USD, which is the third biggest stablecoin by market capitalization. Rather than keeping reserves, which is what a lot of other stablecoins do, which is is what you're you're right, like a lot of them have reserves and they trade with it, algorithmic ones rely on algorithms that maintain a stablecoin's price similarly to a central bank, which manipulates a fiat currency's price by controlling the supply of cash. When a stablecoin's prices rise too high, its algorithms mint more tokens to lower its price or the reverse if the price falls too low such moves are coded into its blockchain smart contracts which execute automatically when specified conditions are met so what it's doing is uh, it's 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 looking at the market and algorithmically determining a amount of coins that need to exist to keep it at that level okay which is hilarious because they've just invented a mint that's that's they've 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 automated a mint <laughs> yeah pretty much which is literally the thing that they hate <laughs> the, the more i think about this the more i'm actually going to go completely insane the the thing that they hate the most Uh, especially Bitcoin people, the thing that Bitcoin people hate the most and most crypto people agree with is the ability for the Federal Reserve to print more money. And what they've done is just created a robot that tries to do it automatically. That's, uh, I'm
1: going to lose my mind. Yeah, but then then the president can't do it. So it's fine, I think.
0: Oh no, it's fine. We just built an (sighs) algorithm that does it that we've all agreed to follow. Ridiculous. All of this is ridiculous. But I think this is a good segue into talking about your thing, which you sent me today and is mind-blowing.
1: I'm obsessed with this. As always, my, my, my standard theory about how all of everything bad on the internet is preceded by it happening in football. Uh, and this, I think, is one <laughs> of the best examples, uh, which is Michael Owen, uh, former England, Liverpool, Newcastle, and some worse teams, uh, striker. And the, also the most boring man on the planet, who famously once said that he'd he was asked what his favorite film was. And you replied, uh, it's very boring. I don't watch films. I think I've seen about five in my life. <laughs> wow. Yeah, man does watch films, okay. uh, which is, is, is uh, yeah. Anyway, he has launched an NFT. The NFT tokens are videos of him scoring goals commentated over by him, which is, you know, it's not that, it's not, it's inherently not valuable. No one, no one cares. But he announced with it and he said, this is the first ever NFT that can't lose value, which is one of those things where you hear someone saying, yep. Yeah, Okay, let's hear that. And the eventual logic of it is, and it was admitted later by his his business partner in it, like, well, it can technically lose value. Or no, he didn't say it could lose value. He said it, you could lose out on it, even if you bought it. Uh, and how it works is that it has set a floor price. So the smart contract attached to the NFT means you cannot sell it for less than it was initially bought for, uh, which is fine. But if you buy something for a, a thousand pounds, and later you want to sell it for nine hundred pounds you can 't sell it for nine hundred pounds, so you can 't make a hundred pound loss on it you have to hold on to it until it goes above a thousand pounds to sell it, which means that you can't you are you're tied into losing a thousand pounds unless it rises in value so it 's not so much you you can't lose money it 's that you can only lose all your money you can't only lose a bit of your money
0: wait hold on hold on okay. Okay, I need to I need to walk this I need to do the crypto thing and walk this step by step to make it make sense. So, first, for our listeners, when we're talking about a smart contract, what we're really talking about is like a bit of code that's in the token or in the coin that determines how that thing will operate automatically in perpetuity. The 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 main thing that I think is lost on a lot of people who follow who try to follow this stuff and don't really have the time to work it all out, is that we're talking about automation. We're talking about automating finance so that no one's in charge of it, okay? Cool. That's yep. a smart contract. The smart contract it determines how the coin or token or DAO or whatever the crypto thing is operates without anyone being able to, to touch it after the smart contract is initiated. Okay, cool. So this token that this very boring footballer who doesn't watch films has made, it has set in the contract that... If, so if i buy uh, an nft from you for a thousand dollars i then can't sell it for less than a thousand dollars yes but can i sell it for more than a thousand dollars yes so what okay so hold on if i if i buy it from you for a thousand dollars and then i yeah. find someone uh, someone else and i sell it to them for two thousand dollars can they sell it for a thousand dollars
1: they could sell it for a thousand dollars yes as far as i as far as i can tell from reading through it because I'll be honest, they're not hugely clear on it, but it seems to be the idea that they – not that it can never lose value, but it can't lose its initial value.
0: So, like, person A's value is the floor.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's a floor price.
0: And so so that's what they've done. Because I was going to say, it is interesting to me if there's a way to set it so that the floor price keeps changing, because then what you end up having is, like, a thing that can never go down.
1: Yeah, but no, but no, but it still can because what it means is that if you buy something cuz cuz the risk profile then totally changes. Like if you buy something for the you rebuy this at $2,000 and then it's always at 1,999, you're potentially losing $2,000 rather than like $1 cuz it never goes anywhere. No,
0: no, but wait, think about this though cuz this is really funny. Okay, so say you have an NFT and you sell it to me for a dollar. And in that NFT contract uh, smart contract it, it it's set up so that you can never sell it for whatever <laughs> the most recent buyer can never sell it for less than what they bought it for so that means like if i sell, if you sell it to me for a dollar and then i sell it to you for two dollars and you just we bounce it back and forth we could inflate the 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 possible price to sell it to a degree that could like become astronomical
1: sure but then it gets to a million dollars i sell it to you for a million dollars and then, then i just then I'm stuck don't buy it. it back yeah,
0: we call okay. We call it the hot potato. We call it the hot potato <laughs> NFT, and and wh- whoever's the last person holding it has just spent like millions of dollars on it for no reason.
1: It can, yeah that would be quite fun. It could only be it can only be sold for one cent more than it was previously sold for. <laughs>
0: no, <laughs> so I love that. Just I love that. Yeah, to, yeah.
1: You have to constantly gamble that <laughs> you can keep selling it. That would actually be quite fun. Okay, but this version is not good because this version is him selling a load of things that as soon as they drop by one dollar you cannot sell them.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's um that's not anything. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's just not anything. You just you. <laughs> No, the more I think about it, the more stupid that is because <laughs> like, you've just, all you've said is just like, yeah, like you can't sell it for less than $1,000. Okay, fine. <laughs> then then, the, then there's no point in selling it unless you could, like, you've killed the...
1: <laughs> but weirdly, like we, we were talking, I was going to say last week, I actually think it was on the Stag Dude, but we were talking about the idea of having tickets hold on, attached hold to it. I want to be
0: clear to our listeners that we were not talking about NFTs on your Stag Dude. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. No. Okay. So, with the tickets thing, right?
1: Yeah. So, so, so the idea that you could fix the ticket at a certain price and therefore couldn't, you could never tout it. Uh, obviously, we then worked out many, many ways around which you could tout it, including like more complicated smart contracts and all that sort of stuff. But the central principle of like the idea that you know you can't sell a ticket for more than it's worth, or you have to attach the ticket to like a, a company There's a bunch of different ways that it, maybe there's some potential there. But broadly speaking, selling a crypto, of selling a token that. Uh, Yes, yeah, it's, it's the dumbest thing in the world. It's amazing. It's, it's really kind of amazing. It's kind of amazingly dumb.
0: It's amazingly dumb, and it, and it and it is signaling, I think, a real rot that's happening in the crypto world everywhere. Like, I mean, you know, you have Instagram yesterday <laughs> announcing that they're going to have an NFT feature. Four
1: months late and a buck short.
0: You you have so this tweet was all over the place in America. Speaking of sports and crypto, which was the Washington Nationals. <laughs> A baseball team putting out like a (laughs) – oh, wow. I didn't even realize the worst part of it. Okay. So the Washington Nationals put out a video on Twitter that was called Crypto 101. If you have questions, we've got answers. And it's presented by Terra, (laughs) the the algorithmic stable coin that's now worth like nothing. That's
1: good. That's very good.
0: (laughs) So like we've reached the period where this is all falling apart. It's yep. not totally clear to me that this is the the end of crypto to a degree. In the same way that, like, because a lot of these blockchains are protocols, like, they don't really die. They just, it's just no one's using it. And then there's, there's a million ways that people could figure out a way to use, you know, it's like how Google Reader dies and RSS doesn't go away. It just becomes the thing that powers podcasts, which is a, yeah. a weird thing to think about, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, No, that, that makes sense. And I think that, you know, the difference between kind of, Bitcoin dying and crypto dying and NFTs dying and uh, blockchain dying or like four completely different things.
0: Yeah, and and like, you know, Bitcoin could completely fall out of fashion and no one would ever use it again. But there could be a, a thing down the line where we realize the blockchain is actually perfect for, I don't know, transferring property rights or something. Like, you know, like this technology is a protocol, so you can kind of do whatever you want with it. Just right now, everyone's using it to gamble. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, and I think when we when we talk about this, I think the two things we've come at so far on this podcast are: it is perfect for attaching authentication of art or other extremely high value items, and communes, and those are the two versions, the two right. real real implica- uh, implementations that might actually work. We have so far.
0: Give it, a, give it like five years, and every communist is going to be talking about Bitcoin. <laughs> Yeah, so sure. here here, though, is like a really interesting last snapshot of this world before we leave it for now and go talk about other things in the multiverse. But uh, Casey Newton, who writes the platformer newsletter, shared this tweet uh, this afternoon. Uh, he wrote fascinating disconnect between daily headlines about crypto startups raising twenty five million dollar a rounds and a user base that is already declining and the tweet that he shared was uh from the Coinbase global Q1 2022 earnings. So, and this was this is a tweet from an account called Live Squawk. So, Coinbase's revenue is 1.17 billion. Its monthly transacting users is around 9.5 million. Its transaction revenue is around 1 billion. It sees that it's monthly users is declining and, and they're mis- they're they're missing targets. Uh, th- like Coinbase is not dying, but it is not really growing in the way that I think people thought it would.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's correct. Like it's, it's, oh God, it's tricky because I don't think any of this stuff is, is it's the classic thing of, I think that saying that something's going to go up by a thousand percent, it goes up by 950 percent is, well, it's still gone up by 950 percent, but often with, I think with crypto, it feels like it's gone down more. And, you know, I think a lot of the people who are really into this stuff as a as an alternative for the future, like not, you know, grifting to, to try and boost the price, they think of this stuff on a, you know, a five-year, 10-year, 20-year curve, not a, this has gone down in the last few months. So, yeah.
0: Right. So right now, Coinbase, uh, it, just to be clear for listeners who are trying to follow along, Coinbase's revenue has dropped uh, over 25% from
1: a year ago. Yeah, because the usage has gone down. But, but I think that usage potentially will go back up if, the, if it starts to go in the other direction. And what will make it go in the other direction? Don't know. But, but if something does, eh, yeah. it probably will work.
0: Also, the, uh, the really important thing to think about is that Coinbase made the wrong bet last year. Coinbase did not get NFT capabilities until like a, a couple of months ago, if that even. I think it might still be invite only. And the last year has been dominated by like a shitload of noise from the NFT world. And so, like, I've been I've been following the crypto chatter all all day today, trying to, like, figure out, like, what the community's consensus is, which is hard to do. And, like, a lot of the OG crypto people, a lot of the Bitcoin maxis, people like that are seemingly excited right now because they're seeing this as a signal that, like, a lot of the dumb fad stuff is going to die. And a lot of the institutions are going to leave and it's going to become, like, a populist thing again, which... I don't know that that's kind of an optimistic look on it but it is interesting that like that's kind of how some of the older people are are thinking about this
1: yeah that is interesting
0: uh so once again invest in luna uh algorithmic stable (laughs) Uh, coin invest
1: invest invest in carbon coin Uh,
0: you know if you're going to invest in anything yeah invest in a carbon coin although they don't seem to do very well i can't imagine why (laughs) but they yeah they don't seem to do very well hey luke have you consumed any content to stay sane this week
1: We get to talk about the thing that we've been building up to, I think, for, for for a while. Because it's been a while since we've been able to do one of these. And certainly a while since we've been able to do one of these together. But yeah, we have a Marvel movie to talk about. We have Doctor Strange to talk about.
0: We do. And before we get over there, uh, I just want to say once again, thank you all for listening. Those of you who've listened to all 100 episodes of this are, uh, I don't know. I mean, you're heroes to me, but also terrifying to me. Yes. I hope this show is better. <laughs> than it was a hundred episodes ago. I hope that we're not like one of those bands that puts out like an incredible EP and then just like just gets worse and worse over time. I can think of a few. <coughs> up boy. Um, but hopefully we are we are getting better. We're aging uh well. Uh hopefully we're just hitting our stride. Hopefully we have a hundred more to go. Who knows? Uh, that sounds crazy to me, but it's possible. Do you, uh, do you have a, uh, do you have any sort of parting? I don't know. Can you, do you have any set Do you have like, can you pull up like a molecule of sentimentality? Um, An atom of sentimentality? Is it possible for you?
1: Um, I don't know. I mean, look, we started to talk to each other and it turns out that other people want to hear us talk to each other. And that is a, <laughs> a weird thing. But also <laughs> extremely gratifying in a way that uh, is hard to put a finger on.
0: Oh yeah, he can't even look at the screen when he's talking. He, like, he's, oh, I he, if I was in the same room with him right now, he would explode. He would. He would yes. just. He, yeah. Yeah. It's been. It's been very cool. The idea that after you know hundred episodes in, we've done a live show, we've met people from all over the world that listen. We, we're talking to people online all the time. People are marathoning it. It's crazy. It's a great feeling, and it's it's really exciting to celebrate that with uh, just a really. Self indulgent, uh, bonus episode about a Marvel movie. <laughs> I feel like that's the right way to do it. So, if you want to hear it that, is. it's free, it's unlocked, it's over at the, the contentminds.com. And, uh, hopefully, we'll we'll, we'll we've got a hundred more in us. Who knows? Let's see what happens. Um, thank you, Seven Morris, for the lovely soundscapes and editing of this week's episode. Thank you again for supporting us. And, uh, let's go, let's let's go jump into a, a portal and uh, talk about. Doctor Strange and witches and stuff. Let's do this. All right. Bye.